Well, good morning. We are reading today from God's Word in Genesis, chapter 3, in the Church Bible. It's on page 5. We're, we're reading Genesis 3, 8 to 14. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? No, no. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent, serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. Good morning. Uh, lovely to see you all. 
Um, do keep Genesis chapter 3 open in front of you, please. Um, this is God's Word that we just had read, and we're going to need His help as we come to think more about it and listen to His voice. So let me pray. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from your mouth, Almighty God. This is your word before us in Genesis 3, and so we ask that you would help us to to feed on it, to understand it, to hear your voice to us this morning. We need it as much as physical bread, more so. So we pray for your help and your grace. In the name of your Son, amen. Um, actions have consequences, don't they? If you do that again, I will leave you on the side of the road. Um, I was about 10 at the time. Those were my father's words to me. And uh, I think it had probably been an hour on our journey back from our holidays, probably an hour of that I'd spent provoking and annoying my sister, my younger sister, and dad had just had enough. And, well, I didn't listen. And so, moments later, I was on the side of the road, watching the car drive off into the distance. I have this just really clear picture. I can see where I am. And the thing that really uh, sort of struck me as I looked down, I didn't have my shoes on. I was just in my socks. And at that moment, I, I knew I should have listened. I knew that actions had consequences. We know this, don't we? How we wish that we could go back and not do or say some of the things we did and undo some of the consequences. And the more serious the actions, the more serious the consequences. The actions of mankind in Genesis 3 are the most serious ever. Do you remember in the beginning, God had made a perfect world, a world full of color and fun and variety. And then he had formed us, mankind, and breathed the breath of life into us. And he had given us the world, gifted us the world. But most of all, he had given us the heart of life, a relationship with him, the God of life. We were made in his likeness. And then, as we saw last week, Adam and Eve, and us on repeat ever since, well, we said to God, I don't believe that you're good, I don't trust you, I don't want you as God, I want to be God. And so sin entered the world. But God had warned, He'd said, there will be consequences. He said, trust me in this. Trust me that my way is best. Trust me. Don't eat from the tree. Don't choose to be God yourself. If you sin, there will be death. Now, we come to Genesis uh, chapter 3, and we're, so we're looking at verses 14 and on today, but um, up to 13, we've seen that Adam and Eve did this. They, they have disobeyed God, and yet they're still breathing and living. They didn't immediately die. 
Well, that's because life isn't just about physical life. It's not just about feeling the pulse running through your veins. It is, at the heart of it, a relationship with the source of life, with God. And when we rejected that relationship, actually death began. And Satan did lie when he said, you won't surely die. Well, that's not actually what we see here in Genesis 3. As we will see, there is a price to pay. Sin is so serious. The perfect God is rightly angry. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. Can you imagine living in a world where, uh, well, God didn't really care about right and wrong? Where he was like some sort of corrupt leader who just thought it doesn't really matter. What kind of a God would he be if he was like that? No, we need a God who is just, who cares about right and wrong, who, who is offended by evil. But if God is perfectly just, then actually all sin will lead to consequences. And what we find here in verses 14 to 24 are the consequences. Here's the first headline for us this morning. After the beginning, pain. What we'll see actually as we go through these consequences, that we'll see actually the, the reason the way our world is the way it is. Why it's such a sort of mixture, mishmash of just wonder and beauty and goodness and yet brokenness and heartache and evil. Now, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're new to the Bible or it doesn't really have much sort of um, impact on your life, the Bible. Why don't you have a listen as we look at this passage to see whether the Bible's explanation of why the world is the way it is, whether it fits with your reality. Because I think we'll see it really does. We're going to see six consequences. Here's the first. Spiritual war. So, verse 14, to the serpent, the Lord says, here are the consequences. So, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock above and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It isn't just talking about sort of snakes not having legs at this point, or, or even really about snakes. Do you remember last week we saw that this snake is the devil or, or being used by the devil? The Lord is saying to the devil here, from now on you will lick the dust. I, um, when I played rugby, it's sort of getting further and further into the past now, but uh, I wasn't particularly strong, I wasn't particularly big, but I was really determined that no one was going to get past me, that I would tackle whatever came my way. But it didn't always work, and sometimes someone did get past me, and I was sort of left lying in the dust. I just felt humiliated. And that's what this is speaking about. It's a picture of humiliation. God is saying, you will 
always be the lowest of the low. You will never win. But the Lord also says the fight's not over yet. There'll be enmity, a battle between the devil and his offspring and Eve and hers. Are you aware in our world, even in the past week, that there is more going on than the eye can see? So why do we find it so hard to do the good that we want to do? Why do we find that we, we say, when, we, when we've done something, oh, never again, and then we find we do it again? Do we realize that we are all involved in a spiritual war? So temptation comes to gossip or, or to cheat on the form or the test or to promote ourselves, to go against God. And it's not just about us. It's even not just about us and our sin. It's also about siding with the devil. He is fighting so that we will fail. And when we do stand up against him and stand out for Jesus, don't be surprised if we're attacked, exploited at work, for our faith, laughed at by our friends. It's enmity. It's been like that from the beginning. But not forever, we're told. End of verse 15. One day, we're told, one of Eve's offspring will prevail, will crush Satan's head, and yet will be hurt in the process. Spiritual war. Second consequence, childbearing pain. Verse 16, the Lord turns to Eve, to the woman. He said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And so, the wonder of childbirth and, and that role given to Adam and Eve to, to fulfill the earth and subdue it, to fill it. Well, it's now mingled with real pain. And some of us here know that pain only too well. Not, not just the pain of physically giving the gas and the epidurals, but actually this is about more than just the act of birth. Uh, it could be translated um, bringing forth children. It's all things to do with with birth and child rearing and reproduction. And so it's why, for some of you, hormones wreak havoc once a month, or you have to cope with the menopause. It's why some of us have tasted the agony of infertility, or of miscarriage, or of infant death. It's why raising children it's such an extraordinary combination of just real joy and such heartache at times. Childbearing pain. Consequence number three, relational pain. Do you know the joke, there's only uh, two rules for a happy marriage? Anyone know this one? Number one, the wife is right. Number two, if the wife is wrong, see rule number one. Yeah, you heard that one? I mean, there's lots of jokes like that, aren't there? There's actually something more sinister going on behind those kind of jokes. 
You see, marriage is supposed to be a picture of God's perfect love with his people. It's supposed to be this one flesh relationship where together a couple are glorifying and serving God and there is just wonderful harmony. But now with sin and a desire to serve ourselves, all is changed. And so end of verse 16 The Lord says, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. The the word desire there, it's not actually really about romance or or sex. If you look at chapter 4, verse 7, the the same word is used towards the end of that verse. As the Lord says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. It's a desire for control, a desire to master And so here, what we see is instead of the wife being a willing helper, there's manipulation and control. And for the husband, instead of sacrificially leading, either there's abdication of that responsibility altogether, or he responds by ruling over her and domination. Relational consequences. Now, these are not just seen in marriage, but actually seen in the battle of the sexes, in the gender inequality, in pay, in neglect, in abuse. But we need to be really careful here because God isn't saying that he endorses this. He's saying, look at what sin does. Look at what it does. It it tears families and communities apart. And actually, these traits of selfishness, of manipulation, of abdication, of domination, of just that experience of loneliness, is seen in all relationships across the board. Because, you see, if I want to be God, and you want to be God, one of us is going to lose. It's why. On the one hand, we we long for those deep relationships. On on the other hand, it's those relationships that cause us the greatest pain. Relational pain. Natural pain. Have a look at verse 17. It's interesting. God here gives the reasons to Adam. He says, the reason for the consequences for you are both because you didn't protect and lovingly lead Eve, you you listened to her, and also because you disobeyed God's loving command, verse 17, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Is this just my perspective, or do you feel like almost a month can't go by at the moment without another natural disaster hitting the headlines? Whether it's a a flood in um, the Middle East, or it's a famine in in Africa, or or an earthquake, or a volcano. And, And people go, you know, why? If God is there at all, he must be having a bad day, or he mustn't be powerful enough to deal with this, or he mustn't be good. Actually, Genesis 3 tells us why. 
so serious, so seismic is mankind's sin, and so related is that command for man to rule and subdue the earth, so connected to the earth, that the whole of creation, the ground is cursed because of mankind's sin. The, the fabric of the world cursed, natural pain. It's why things break. It's why pandemics occur. It's why, although the Bible's really clear we have responsibility to care for the earth and to listen to COP27, but we will never eradicate the natural disaster. The president of COP27 is wrong when he says, together we can overcome this existential threat. Natural pain. Consequence number five, work pain. Again, verse 17, the Lord says to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. How was your experience of work last week? And I'm not just talking to those with paid employment. It might be that it was uh, something you were working at in the home or in the school or some project. Did you enjoy it? Was it all joy? It was supposed to be. Well, mankind were given the, the privilege to rule this world under God. It was supposed to be all joy. And yet now, what is work like? Well, yeah, there's, there is achievement and satisfaction at times, but it's also frustrating and exhausting. And, and you know that sense of you just feel like, oh, like, I'm just making no progress. It seems pointless. Why is that? Genesis 3 tells us, painful toil. And the obstacles, why is it that the computer breaks or that delivery doesn't arrive on time or, or Brexit just wrecks my head? It's because there are thorns and thistles for us. You know, people say, oh, if you just find the right job, it, you'll be completely fulfilled. And we're surprised when we're not. Well, we shouldn't be because it's not because we've got the wrong job. It's because we've forgotten that work is cursed. Work pain. Sixthly, death. Death pain. Someone suggested this poem be read at my brother's funeral. Starts like this. Death is nothing at all. I've only slipped into the next room. And it ends like this. All is well. What complete rubbish. What a lie. Isn't it true that when death happens, not just the sudden deaths and the early deaths, but when even those that have lived a long life, even those who are Christians, when they die, something in us just says, this is just not right. It does not feel like this should be okay. Why is that? 
It's actually why I don't really like the phrase passing away. It, it sort of downplays the horror and the reality of death. It's not how it was supposed to be in the beginning. That's why. In the beginning there was no death. But now, verse 19, you'll return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Some of us might feel like we're a long way away from death. Do you know death is experienced long before we actually get there? Experienced as we stand beside the grave of a loved one. Experienced as we age in every creaking joint or foggy eye or misfiring brain. Experienced as our emotions, our, our ambitions, hopes, and plans just turn to dust. And yes, one day we will too die. We too will be dust. Death. And all of this, well, because we've rebelled against the source of life, we've walked out on life with Him. And physical death is just a confirmation of what is already happening. The spiritual death we're already living. It's why, verse 22, the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. God says that there's no place for rebels in paradise. No place for people who say, I'm going to be God, who, who want to run it and ruin it. And so, verse 23, the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to wear it the ground from which he'd been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life banished with no way back no way back to the relationship that we were made for to life with God do you know when uh, the Israelites were told to build the, the tabernacle and then the temple so the, the place that God was said to dwell there was a, a place called the holiest of holies which was where God's presence was supposed to be and, and behind, in front of that was this big curtain and embroidered into that curtain were cherubim. And it was a reminder of this. It's a reminder of the fact that there is no way back to that intimate relationship with God. Actions have consequences. God had warned. He said, don't believe the lie. There is no life without me. There are consequences for sin. Death. And it was the start of spiritual war, of pain, of toil, of suffering, of grief, of, of relationships shattered between us and God, between one another, between us and nature. Genesis 3, it, it speaks reality that we experience today. Genesis 3 is lived out every day. What can we do? What should we do? 
Well, I think firstly, wake up. This is the punishment that we deserve. Wake up to how serious sin is. That when we reject the one who is life and who gives life, this is what happens. This is how far we've fallen. How much we've spurned God. And yet this punishment should also show us that all is not right. We need to wake up to our knees. On the side of that road, on the way back from that holiday, as I stood there in my socks, just feeling utterly just like I should have listened and a right sense of guilt and just a wondering, how on earth am I going to get home? Hours of walking. And so I trudged up the road in my socks, round the corner. And there sat round the corner was the car and my family and my father lovingly waiting for me to take me back and bring me home. Needless to say, I was a little quieter from then on in the journey. I want you to imagine Adam and Eve cast out from the garden, east of Eden, no way back. Adam, he's had a a day of toiling. He comes in and he's late again. Eve, well, she's been working hard too. And she snaps at him, inconsiderate. And that harmony that they had enjoyed, well, now they're just hurting. And if you ask them the question, what do you think you need? They'd say, what we need is to go back to the relationship we had before, life with God. That perfect relationship. And the question is, will God have them back? Will he bring them home? After the beginning, pain, but also after the beginning, promise. And in amongst these words of judgment here in Genesis 3 are signs and words of love. Look, verse 20, Adam called his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Eve's name is like a sort of bright light in the midst of this despair, that it's not all over, that God is not done with them, that life is continuing. Or verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothe them. He provides for them, provides clothes for them. But the clearest are the words of promise in verse 15. Flick back to that. End of verse 15. As God speaks of Eve's offspring, and he says, he will crush your head, Satan, and you will strike his heel. You see, they're told that in the future, one of Eve's offspring, her descendants, will crush Satan's head, that evil will be defeated once and for all. It's a promise that all these consequences will be undone, and there'll be a world made new. Humans, welcomed back into that relationship with God, welcomed back to joy, to life. But in that act of crushing Satan's head, well, in return, as Satan is crushed, 
he will strike this offspring's heel. In this process, this person will be painfully struck down as he defeats death and evil and suffering and sin. It'll be very costly. And after this promise in Genesis 3, after this part of Genesis, after the beginning, the human story continues. And the question is, is this the one? Is this the one that will come and sort everything out, that will defeat evil? And it becomes clearer and clearer that, that no one is able to do this. No, no man or woman is able to do this. Only God is. And so He comes. Jesus comes. And just see what a kind of a God He is. He, he's not a God who is sort of distant and uncaring, looking on from a distance. No, He's a God who's so concerned about our pain and our agony that He was willing to come Himself into this broken, cursed world to become like us. And so when Jesus came, He, he shared in our pain. He experienced that spiritual warfare. He, he, he was part of the pain of childbirth and childbearing. He, he knew what it was like to, to have relationships that were fractured, friends that deserted him. He knew what it was like to experience natural pain and work pain. He, he knows what it's like to grieve, to hurt, to suffer, and to die as the extraordinary reality of the Son of God become man, dies for us, dies our death. Actions have consequences. Satan was wrong. There is a price to pay. But Jesus said it is finished as he died. I have paid, he said. And the proof? Well, as he died on the cross for our sin, that great curtain in the temple tore right down the middle. Those cherubim separated, saying the way back to God is now open. The proof, three days later, he defeated death and rose again. He is alive. He's the only one able to offer and restore life. He's the one who can welcome us back so that we can go back to the life we were made for with the God that we were made for. And it means if we are trusting in Jesus today, we have real life now, that relationship. And one day, the promise of a world with no more mourning or crying or death or pain. Even in the beginning, as sin entered the world, as those consequences flowed, as that judgment happened, even in that, even as actions led to consequences, they were mixed with words of love, of extraordinary love and divine promise. Let's take a moment just to pause, think of what God has been saying to us through His Word, and then I'll lead us in prayer.
Almighty God, holy God, we praise you that you are a God who cares about right and wrong. You're not a God who ignores evil or brushes it under the carpet. And yet we recognize that in the ways we have treated you, that means we are in desperate need. And yet we wonder again that for those of us who have our trust in Christ, you have met that need. And that here, right back in the beginning, even in the midst of those words of judgment, you spoke words of promise and love. And we thank you that you entered into this world in the person of your son, that he bore the suffering and the pain and the death in our place so that we might be restored to know you. Would you help us this week to wonder, revel in this reality? Realize how serious sin is and yet how serious you are about dealing with it and welcoming us home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.